for club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it not not multiple <laughs> All right, and we're live. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars podcast, and we're your hosts, Nate and Tony. Hello. Uh, we have an awesome guest on. I'm really excited about this guy. We have Arya Sulin, and uh, he is from Paradigm Threat, and we are super stoked, man. Like, I literally know nothing about what we're going to talk about tonight, and I'm, dude, I'm talking to the expert. So I'm super stoked. Ari, do you want to tell uh, our audience a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? Yeah, I'm a hobbyist conspiracy theorist. I've, I've been researching uh, every conspiracy you name. Um, my website is paradigmthreat.net. You can just go there and see my articles, media. But definitely check out our Discord link because on Discord, we got a community, a couple hundred people, and they research stuff all day, and it's really fun. So check out our Discord. That's awesome, man. I got to get in there too. That sounds yeah. great. <laughs> well, brother, we are excited to have you on here. And um, I've been really curious about digging into Tartaria because um, it sounds awesome and it sounds legit as shit. And I, and I want to know more. So um, and I know that this is one of your uh, one of your areas of, of expertise. And then you were also talking to me about the mud flood stuff. And that's another thing that I literally know nothing about. So uh, wherever you want to start, let's do it. Yeah, totally. Uh, Tartaria is a term that most of us haven't really heard much, but you you will see the term in Wikipedia referencing a type of building architecture, right? Tartarian-style buildings. Those are the ones with the old, like, steeples and pointy tops and really awesome stone carvings. Um, Stuff that we can't uh, reproduce today, stuff that apparently the technology has been lost in the 18th century. They have all these Tartarian buildings all over the world. And uh, every every uh, continent except Africa, and um, <clears throat> essentially it represents this old uh, empire, this world empire called the Rus Horde Empire or Tatarian Empire, which um, which sort of started from the origin of of civilization, the very first um, you know drama that the human race went through, and it ended with a collapse that basically left all the pieces of the world that we know today. Um, we know this empire today as the Roman Empire, and we know that it fell at some point in the past and left behind this sort of power vacuum that then other people took over, like England. They sort of uh, pretended that they were the empire of the world for a long time there, but we all know that the British Empire, tiny little island, never really had the ability to rule the world. So why does England think it rules the world or did throughout the 19th century? Um, Why do so many Europeans think that they have like aristocratic lineage, you know, kings and queens that go all the way back, you know, thousands of years when they don't. It, the uh, the answer is, if you look east, you'll find right away that um, Russians, for example, feel like a lot of their history has been stolen. Africans will tell you the same thing. A lot of Africans feel like their history has been stolen and sort of appropriated into European history. And so <clears throat> what happened with Tataria was that in 2014, essentially Russia started releasing all this new stuff, maps, and, um, and history. But that wasn't the first time that they did it. In 1990, you got this guy called Anatoly Fomenko. And Fomenko is extremely important in the, in the Tatarian sort of uh, investigation. He's like, the, he's like the main guy who figured this all out. What did he do? What did Anatoly Fomenko do? In the 90s, he basically <clears throat> found a mathematical solution to, to solving 
um, redactions in history, solving corruption, um, uh, rewriting of history, st stolen, his, uh, you know, the way that they steal history, he found a way to actually primer and detect it. And he detected that history as we know it, as the Scaligerian history is taught in schools, is actually a, a duplicate copy over and over of, of one single story taught in many different countries and many different dates to make it look like we've had a very long history of many thousands of years, a uh, very violent history of many wars that just sort of start and stop for no reason. Um, <clears throat> the history we taught, in, we taught in school to us today certainly doesn't give us the reasons for these wars. It's just left us to decide that they must have been caused by human greed and uh, you know, resources and religion. So, so this Eastern story uh, of Tataria provides an alternate to the Scaligerian history that we were taught and basically tells a shorter and simpler story starting in the 11th century and proposes that the timeline before the 11th century, we don't know anything about that timeline, that basically human history started in the 11th century and then somebody in the last couple hundred years decided to add an extra thousand years to that timeline in order to push their modern crimes back into the past to hide, hide the tracks and so forth. Uh, he sort of figured this out using math, which is really cool because he never intended to actually challenge history as it was known. But um, as he was trying to add up the stories, he noticed that <clears throat> mathematically you can, you can sort of create a fingerprint of the order of events of a story and then match it to other stories of the same caliber and find out that they're exactly the same thing. Muhammad, Jesus, these characters might have actually been the same person and their histories were split. For example, the origin of Jesus is taught in the, in the, Old, in the New Testament and the violent period following, which led to the Crusades, is taught in the Quran. So it's the same story, but they sort of gave the Muslims the violent half of it. And, um, and so Fumenka makes it very clear that, um, <clears throat> that you know, there, there could be this whole other version of history. And that version of history hasn't been um, explored or taken seriously in the West. It's been ignored. Like everything else about Russia, if you know movies, Hollywood movies, you know very well that since the 90s, there's just been a great deal of Russia phobia. So we just don't talk to Russia. We don't believe in their stuff. And, and they say crazy things, stuff that, that shouldn't be true. They say like Cyrillic language that Russians based on is the same language of the Old Testament text that they can read that text today as a living language. It's not ancient at all. You know, they say stuff like that. And the Westerners say, you know, posh, that cannot be possibly be the truth. And they just don't accept it. So you get what I'm saying. Tataria has been completely erased from history, replaced by this memory of the Roman Empire, the British Empire, the Spanish Empire. You know, all these smaller versions were actually part of a much bigger empire that fell apart. And we can get into that timeline in a little bit. Any questions so far? That's just crazy fascinating, man. Um, yeah. I've heard one thing uh, about Tartaria as far as like, um, it was something about, <laughs> I'm going to screw this up, but it was something about uh, Napoleon and um, maybe one of the czars being lovers. Have you ever heard this story? Well, um, I don't know. Okay. And he had to deal with all of these people that were the Tartars. Like, and at that time you would see this map and you would see Tartaria right here. And it was like in the like Southwestern uh, chunk of, I guess uh, what it was the uh, Russian empire at the time. And they were 
so anyways, I guess like his whole, this whole theory, which I found just fascinating. I don't know if that's true at all. Um, that um, actually when Napoleon invaded Russia, it was to actually kill the Tartars and to give that land back to the Russian empire, which I yeah. thought was fascinating. I, I have no idea if that's true, but I liked it. I was like, that's, that's interesting. Uh, so do you have a map to show us here? Yeah. Is that, is that working? Is it showing? I only see my face there. Yeah. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm adding yeah. it to the stream now and let's go, let's go full stream with that. <clears throat> so this is a uh, Tatarian map um, released um, in 2014. Actually, this one may have come out sooner. The point is it shows Siberia, right? It shows Siberia, not at all like it looks today. Uh, actually it's smaller. It's not even as stretched out as it, it looks. Uh, I believe that's the Black Sea over there. Uh, yeah, Bach. yeah, it's got to be Black Caspian Sea. Yes. Uh, so you can see on a, on a Google map, um, you know how far Russia to Siberia allegedly uh, <clears throat> extends on the world map that we know today. Yeah, right. we have no idea what the map. What the, right. we really don't. Yeah, really don't. yeah. Some parts honestly look like they're stretched still. You know, don't even get me started on the poles, right? <laughs> but uh, as far as Sataria, it's simply that the, the Siberia doesn't look anything like this today. I mean. China doesn't look anything like this. There's no Tibetan Peninsula. There's no Himalayan mountains. It's just totally different. So historians, modern historians, they say, oh, those map makers didn't know what they're doing, you know. But it just turns out that these map anomalies uh, are actually very common. Oh, sorry, I thought another page would show up here. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, so India, for example, has these huge Himalayan mountains right here, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, But not in the old maps. No Himalayans. You got India. And you got you know a lot of rivers, big rivers going up and down, and just no Himalayas, no Tibetan peninsula. And then in fascinating. And in the Ganges, right? You got this one Ganges river, that's the biggest river of India. Nothing close. There's no northern rivers at all. But you can see in the old maps that there were. So it's just you really have to wonder how somebody could have screwed that up so badly. Modern historians insist that these old maps are full of errors by people that didn't know what they're doing. But you know, I disagree. And uh that has always been the story, honestly, about our ancestors. They always say they're they're backwards and too stupid to figure it out. So um, an alternate to that would be, no, this has been completely covered up. But there's just one other question here. What happened to the map? You know, like, where did the Himalayans come from, for example? So the official story of the Himalayans, of course, is that it's um, continental um, thrust from uh, subjection, you know, in the, in the hundreds of millions of years ago sort of zone. Um, okay, fine. That's, that's that's cute theory and stuff, but it doesn't really explain the um, curves, you know, the curving structure that we see here. They have to sort of come up with a curved plate in order to make that make sense. Um, <clears throat> what we what we do see, um, well, I won't get into the uh, into the details there. It's a totally different topic. But um, um, okay, yeah. So we 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 don't really know how the um, the Himalayans got there. We do know that they weren't there before. So the next question is, is this an anomaly or do we see the exact same thing, you know, uh, somewhere else? Let me just go ahead here. Any questions so far? Just uh, is, do you think that those, the, those mountains, did those tie into the mud flood theory? Yeah. I'll totally get to that. Okay. That's so another, okay. Yeah. Another anomaly right here. Um, the Island of California, you know, a lot of people know about this one. California is depicted as the Island on several old maps. Um, this isn't even the recent Tataria stuff. This has just been around for a long time. Uh, a lot of makers screwed up. But you can kind of look. There's islands in between. It's a lot of detail. And you got San Francisco inland within the main um, ocean. That's pretty cool. 
So that doesn't really seem like a mistake to me. It seems like California really was an island at some point, but then today it isn't. And That's also, so cool I, right. because San Francisco, it, like even now, is on the coast, and the way it depicts it there, I mean, it almost has me questioning sometimes where they talk about like uh, hidden islands that we don't know about. Yeah, really. We we all know about the current world map right now. Yeah. So uh, yeah, right here we got we don't have a um we don't have Grand Canyon. You know that should be on there. You can go check out mm -hmm. uh, Wikipedia. You can see that there actually is anomalies with Grand Canyon, and not all of the um explorers Spanish explorers saw it. That they say somehow they missed it. Um, earlier European explorers found it, but they the Spanish missed it, etc. There's a it's anomaly. pretty big to miss. <laughs> it's pretty big to miss exactly. If you look at a modern map of the Grand Canyon, let's see if I can pull one up here. It's big enough, I think they say, for the Empire State Building to 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 be inside of it and not reach the top or something like that, right? It's that deep. Yeah, it's, it's a mile deep, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, great. So, uh, so there's some lightning scars, right? Oh, I'm sorry, I just gave it away. There's some scarring across the Grand Canyon that doesn't look like it came from water. It's crisscross scarring. Um, <clears throat> I was going to get at that if Grand Canyon is a lightning scar, then we might expect to see crisscrosses of lightning where basically the discharge amplitude crossed because it was too heavy in that region. Now, keep in mind that water cannot cause a crisscross, period. It just can't. You got a river that meets another river, they join. They never crisscross and continue. And for the same reason, mm -hmm. an existing fault line could not have possibly caused this either. Um, a fault line would not have caused the river to change direction. It would have caused, uh, it's supposed, a fault line is supposed to be a thrust fault in this case, and this is not thrust fault. This is just a um, like a a straight scar forming. There's no thrust. So anyway, my point is, um, crisscross scarring should not appear in the Grand Canyon, but we see it in many regions. Actually, in three different regions. You see it across right here too. And so that makes an anomaly. <clears throat> so let's just jump ahead. Um, so my photos aren't in order here. <laughs> the They're <microphone>. awesome. <laughs> right. I'm this excited. A, right. This is a. Um, this is a painting, 17th century, allegedly, of something called blood rain. Uh, that's just a reddish uh, mud that comes from the sky. But this photo is showing other things too, right? This painting is showing uh, these, these rays getting shot out of the sky. So the official explanation, this is an asteroid, memory of an asteroid that was so brutal that caused blood rain and like made people fall over dead without even being touched, that kind of thing. Um, well, uh, <clears throat> there's two of them, you know? Like straight off the bat, there's two asteroids pointing. Now, there's something else going on here. Um, first of all, these guys clearly just, whoever painted this, clearly remember an event where the sky shot something at them and the, the sky fell with mud. So the, the mud flood theory, which um, let me define it really quick, is all about mud appearing throughout the planet and covering up buildings and other artifacts and stuff anywhere from like 5, 10 to 30 feet, like stories sometimes, and burying these buildings, and then nobody knows why they're buried. Till today, there's no memory of the event or reason for this to have happened. So the mud flood, you can find it all over you know, America, Europe, um, even China, but not like Africa, for example, because not many old buildings there. But, um, but <clears throat> to solve the mud flood, first of all, you have to determine where all that mud came from and how it was moved. And regardless of how you solve it, you're going to have to come up with the energy where did all that energy come to move it? Um, <clears throat> to push that much mud into the sky and have it come down, that's a tremendous amount of energy. That's a like planet scale energy. That's not some small thing. So 
if it was an asteroid, then um, we would expect scientists today to basically teach us in school that this is what asteroids do, you know, they cause blood rain and terrible calamity, and that we would look for these things today. But we actually don't look for this at all today, right? We look for an asteroid hitting and causing an impact and creating um, cloud cover, which then kills the plant life, right? They, they, that's not a mud flood. Not, they're not worried about mud flood clearly. So um, this event here is not being told to us. We don't know what this event is. It's very similar to the Tunguska event. You could look that event up. Very scary day in Russia, Siberia, same region, where the sky suddenly opened up, split in half, fire columns came down, tore up the trees, and anyone who was staying there, they felt their skin burn. That, that's Tunguska event 1909 or 1912, various states. Um, if that event is as described in Wikipedia, why aren't we looking for it today? And why are we saying, oh my God, there could be another Tunguska event? So much worse than the solar flare or even nuclear war, the things that we do worry about or global warming. So why not the next Tunguska event? If they allegedly happen from an asteroid, then it might look something like this painting. So the point is that real scientists are not looking at any of this at all. Seriously, they're, they're saying this is all superstition from medieval times. We're not supposed to believe it or take it as fact. And everything they said back then is some sort of superstitious illusion. That's basically what they conclude. So we conclude that there's an alternate explanation where, you know, this is, just take it as it is, you know, people point, uh, made these, these medias after experiencing these events. So um, another one, you know, uh, mud falling from the sky. This one's real interesting. Uh, you know, there's like this thing happening in the background. Could be rain, but it could also be mud flood. And everyone's just running to the priest and they're like, what should we do? Is this God? And he's like, of course it's God, you silly people. This is a time when the priest took over again. They're just like everyone coming back to them because no one had an explanation for this. This yeah. really looked like God was mad at the earth or the people or something. So um, <clears throat> aside from the reason why it happened, let's just go back to that question you had earlier about Napoleon. I say that we have to look for a geopolitical trigger for this event if it really was either God or human cost. And though I don't believe in God, I can associate that sort of explanation to another ex another cause. For example, somebody pretending to be God and using advanced technology to do so. That's actually very believable and um, you know, could have been what happened. So the point is we're looking for a geopolitical event to trigger the mud flood. This isn't an event anyone wants to happen, clearly. Left behind well, evidence all world but, leaders back then, too, uh, thought they were a god and would tell their people that they were a god. That was true. A yeah. lot of people did that, yeah. So um, if one of them did have superior technology, one of those places, then, you know, a lot of those people were considered God, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's and fascinating. That go okay. That goes back to Atlantean times when you have sort of a Wizard of Oz effect. In Egyptian yeah. times when you had the pyramids and the idols spoke to people, you know, somehow. It's because those pyramids are energetic. They have telepathic transmission properties. And then moving forward to cathedrals, cathedrals have the word cathode in them. They are electrical uh, cathodes. They absorb energy. So you can have telepathy between cathedrals, not just here on Earth, but, you know, between other planets, too. So anyone could be pretending to speak through these cathedrals, you know, I am that I am and so forth. It's not that hard. And then they say, you know, world events going to happen. This is going to happen on the date 666. You know, look out for it. And then the event happens and London burns or something. So, you know, they can be very convincing with this telepath telepathic kind of trick and say in a very convincing way, yes, I am God. This, these priests, these are saints appearing to you, giving you instructions. That's what Joan of Arc apparently experienced. You know, someone mm. telling her to go to war. It doesn't sound like something that a spiritual, you know, thing would do. It sounds like something 
humans wanted to happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, Tony, do you have any that? questions or comments? Well, yeah. So you're saying that the mud might be... Um, so you think it's some kind of technology that caused the mud flood? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially if we're not looking for it as a natural event in the future. Is this one of... Just to clarify, is this one event, the mud flood, or is this just like something that happened repeatedly? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is the first time it happens. It happen again. It's one time. Okay. And uh, I had another question. Do you think, well, I mean, if, if it is technology, I was going to ask, do you think that the elitists, the people that are in charge of this realm, whatever we're in, do they know what the mud flood was? Like, do they have this knowledge um, and are they occulting it? Or do you think but, that some of the times they're just as ignorant as we are? Well, you've heard the term deep state, right? Yeah. And the idea of the deep state is that it's very deep. And you try to get to the bottom of it and you find out there's more and more layers, you know, 33 layers or 100 layers. And the layers are also of truth and revelation. The people in the middle do not get any truth, not even close, but they yeah. are steeped in sort of counter truth. And they believe in the simulated reality they're given all the way up to that final layer. And those guys, yeah, they know the truth, but they keep it very close. They don't want anyone to know mm. about it. Fascinating. Okay. I've heard of this, the miracle at right. Fatima. Yeah, 1917, just... we got these cargo cults like all over the world. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're praying to the sky to come and drop them cargo. I mean, what is that? We also have the story of the Exodus in the Old Testament, which is exactly the same story. It's a 40 years wandering the desert. The same thing that happened in the mud flood. Mud flood event was 19, sorry, 1816 to 1860, allegedly, around 40 years. And it's, at the whole time, uh, life on Earth was just dying at a rapid rate. Like I said, this is not an event anyone wanted to happen. It was a sort of an accident uh, that was brought on by too much warfare. And uh, I'll get into that last. Uh, but in the meantime, the, the, uh, the rulers of Earth, you know, had no choice but to, but to save people, save the survivors, the chosen people, promised them deliverance. We've heard these stories before. And they've eventually delivered them to the promised land. Anyone who is, who is chosen is called an Israelite. That has many times in history. And Israel means one who wrestles with God. It's just a definition. And so therefore, these chosen people were wrestling with the God that chose them. Why? Because that God wanted something back, actually wanted a lot of things back. First of all, Mosaic covenant, you know, no, no shit. Every Abrahamic religion in the world has to do a Mosaic covenant of the Ten Commandments and everything that comes with it and the Abrahamic commandment, uh, covenants. That's, uh, you know, circumcision, baptism, all that kind of stuff. Um, they, they wanted these uh, cargo cults to essentially worship whoever did this event as God all the way into the future. So that sort of is a lot to ask of a cult, but that's why they are cults because they, they sort of kept it going, weeded out their, um, the strat the people who didn't agree this left them out and they died of starvation and ne neglect. If you want to look at the play, Oklahoma, the very early example of a cargo cult the play has, it has everything in it as that has the, the, uh, the cult excluding one of the members because he wasn't good enough has a train coming and they all dance to the cargo. It's all in that play actually. And it's an example of the wild west having been created entirely out of cargo cults, not wagons or any of that stuff. Sure. People use wagons back then to get between the train stops. But when the trains came, those trains came with orphans and these orphan trains you can look them up. They, they spanned all of America. They spanned all of Europe. They spanned through China. The orphan trains are why you see so many people with the same, you know, last name like like Smith and John, um, without much link to their European ancestry, all kind of sort of cuts off about 200 years ago. 
take a look up the orphan trains. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's well known. These um, these trains sort of repopulate America as we know it. I think I have a uh, picture of that somewhere. But um, yeah. Any questions about that? Uh, just uh, little little ones, I guess. I I have heard of the the orphan trains, and I heard this actually tied to like. I guess what would have been considered like the great reset at the time around the 19, like late 1800s, early 1900s. Right. Is that, uh, is that around, is that associated around the time with these, uh, with these orphan trains or, or is it before that? Oh uh, yeah. 19th century. You'll find, uh, orphan trains, um, pretty much late 19th century and early 20th century. That's when they were like basically rewriting our history for us. Right. They were giving that. us, Sorry, I took it forever. So yeah, help wanted children. You know, a uh, couple of homeless children will arrive. Use them for labor. You can, you can train them whatever you want. Here's a picture. Orphan trains, 1920. Sorry, just not not in order. Uh, well, people, well people trying to get rid of orphans, or were they trying to import orphans for labor? Uh, like, well, was... one big question, which you know I haven't fully answered yet, is why why did you get so many orphans? Like there must yeah, have been where the quite, parents. Yeah, this must have been quite a slaughter in the 19th century there. Uh, they'll be uh, preceding the mud flood. Um, I'm sorry, uh, after the mud flood. And again, you can refer to the, the freaking Exodus story. You really know what happened? Because they pushed this story into the Exodus. The Israelites, you know, they didn't all agree with the uh, plan. And uh, at some point, a great deal of them had to be slaughtered. Why? Because they refused the Ten Commandments. Um, and you look in the, in the Old Testament, how many Israelites were slaughtered? It was like 80 or 90% of all of them. It was like a huge amount. And with all those adults gone, I guarantee that there was going to be a ton of kids left over in the rest of the Exodus story reaching Israel, the promised land. So that story is a blueprint for what happened, and it's happened all over the world. So basically what I think happened was if the adults went along with the new plan, they would go and be part of this new world. But if they didn't for any reason, they were just slaughtered. They was exiled into Siberia and just lost their kids. So yeah, I got some pictures of this, uh, but it's what is written in the pictures. It's real interesting. Um was there any particular location where these kids were coming from or were they just all over the world? Um, was there yeah. like a big area maybe that like, where were these, where were they installing like this reset where they were asking the parents, like you're either on board or you're dead. Was that, was that here in the United States or was that in Europe or Russia or. I don't know how many of these orphans were shipped overseas. Cause there's no evidence of that. They all followed trains, and there weren't many trains, <clears throat> sorry, that went overseas yet. I know okay. that's true. So, so this, was, sure this is just what happened in every continent. Even Australia got orphan trains there, too. Okay, so this this was going on simultaneously. Yeah, yeah gotcha, gotcha. Somebody who's not me basically says uh, that it's a common mud flood theory to suggest that these orphan trains were about repopulating the earth. And we mm. can just assume that because they're all orphans, that their parents didn't come along. They're trying to reset their ideology, too, you know? Forget everything that they taught you. Every last thing your parents ever taught you. Children's Aid Society. Yep. Okay, I think that's all the photos of the children. Yep. So, go um, back to something else that was interesting. Um, bring a fire. You got all this. Um, these locations on Earth, on Earth that allegedly had uh, have volcanic volcanic activity, but um, a lot of those activity those volcanoes are not active today. And in these regions, we basically um, well, let me get, get to their photo here. Sorry, I went to the wrong picture. Okay. You know, let's skip that and let's look at some more of these. Um, it's a mud flood photo right here. Yeah, it's a really obvious one. Wow. 
Like, uh, how did that happen? Beautiful like, building. Like, yeah, exactly. Got beautiful buildings under mud. Like, what world existed in the 18th century that was covered up? Well, and you can see it too, where it looks like maybe that that second part. If you go back to that photo, mm-hmm. um, look, if you see that on the right, that looks like a huge chunk of mud on the side of the building, and right. maybe that that staircase was built new. You know, after that to you know, to incorporate that. It could be something else. Like they say, they could explain this one correctly, but there's a lot of ones that they still need to explain. A much more obvious one is when you find underground windows and doors because there's just no reason for them to be built. That's not a great photo. Let me find a better one. Um, In uh, Jerusalem, in the old uh, city, they basically find underground ruins all the time. You know, something buried these ruins in the past. They built Jerusalem on top over it. Oh yeah, no, that's a fake one. The um, yeah, the statues in the um, East Islands. Yeah, that's something fascinating. I didn't know that until pretty recently, like maybe about a year or two ago, that they have a torso. I just thought they were all heads. Right. An interesting thing is, like, what happened to the ones that are sideways? Did they really bury them sideways on purpose, or was it like a lot of mud that was sort of like rushing in, pushing them, or something? Yeah. You got underneath the White House, of course. A lot of people seen this photo. You got a much bigger White House, and it has the shape of an old church. White House used to be a church before it was burned down originally. Interesting. I did not know that. I've never seen that photo before. Um, that's really cool. I, right. I are. Do you think that that underground is still accessible? Do you think they have tunnels underneath there? Oh yeah, it's in the movies yeah. actually. It shows some of it in the movies. And what's in that? What's that's where there? they ship the kids, Tony. <laughs> that's where they move them in and out. Honestly, I think that um, they couldn't really erase evidence of these things in the past. They're just too buried. You know, they have enough agents around that could bury it and shut up. This is something that could was left behind. So underneath the White House, you have tons of secrets. I, I don't doubt that for a second. And uh, in fact, underneath D.C. and Virginia in general, I'm sure there's a lot of you know people keeping those secrets till till today. Here, here's a more obvious one. You know, you got under the the street level. Somebody built arches like on purpose, you know, maybe it was like an underground subway in the old days or something. I don't know. But uh, these these photos have to be explained that they're, they're considered mud flood photos until they are explained. Uh, this big, obvious one here, you know, like arches wow. and, you know, windows, uh, more arches. And there used to be a place called Lemuria. No, there, no, that's a theory that there was a place called Lemuria. But what is known for sure is that um, there used to be a entire Asian um, pirate sort of uh, like like the whole Asian pirate thing in Asia was there in the 18th century and then boom, 19th century, it's gone as if the British totally wiped them out with the British fleet. That's the official story. Yeah, I've heard the official story and right. it's a, it's a that, fun story. Yeah, but, but that would mean that the British really went from all the way over there and killed all the pirates in all of this, you know, forget about it. So something happened to those pirates and this region in general. Yeah. Right now we just have uh, islands left behind, but um, there might have been more land in the past. Another example is New Zealand, which uh, used to be part a place called Zealandia. And I wish I could just go in order with these photos. <laughs> oh, there we go. Perfect. So Zealandia, underground, uh, sorry, underwater continent, like for sure it's a continent because it's continent size. Uh, but for some reason it's underwater. And again, nobody knows why. No one can explain it. Um, <clears throat> There is, a, in my theory, where the mud flood was caused by an, an assault on Earth by a weapon, the idea was to sort of destroy the enemies, yeah, 
but also to prevent them from ever being able to uh, regroup. If uh, this region was particularly threatening, then they would carve out these islands so that they weren't islands anymore, that they're underwater, unlivable. You couldn't you know, uh, dock there anymore. And then you got Australia nearby, this continent that has no record before the 18th century. I mean, unless you believe the French and Germans. Um, uh, <clears throat> this place that was recently populated by the British. Um, and you got this place next to it called New Zealand. So it's just like there might have been an old Zealandian continent that got carved up in the mud flood and dumped onto this into this new continent, Australia, right next door. And all that's left over is this little tiny island. So they, the British just called it New Zealand. That makes sense to me. You know, um, other the official explanation that the British found it in the 17th century doesn't really add up to me. Hmm. Let's see what else we got. Uh, so yeah, let's get to the, um, the theory itself. Um, why the mud flood happened. Um, essentially, uh, you're you're asking earlier about Napoleon. And mm -hmm. uh, I believe that the Napoleonic Wars absolutely don't mind if I'm flipping through and just going back. Uh, the Napoleonic Wars, if they trigger this event. Um, so let's see if I can go back to that part. Sorry, one second. No worries. These are for all of our uh, listeners. You guys should definitely go over to Odyssey and watch this video when we post it because there's a lot of really cool stuff on here. And and for the folks, this will also be on Twitter and on YouTube, and unless YouTube takes it down, they've been taking down our videos a lot lately. So, oh yeah, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, we so don't count no, on them. <laughs> yeah, so there's no painting. 1979. Sorry, 1797. Oh, totally said that backwards. This uh, Volt van Saint Malo. And he painted in Napoleon's times these paintings. And so the first question is, what are they? Are they imaginary? Official explanation, yes, imagine them. But another explanation is that these airships actually existed in the 18th century and could take 15,000 troops at once. So that's not just like exaggerated. Awesome but, looking. Right. And so, so yeah. what is it? You got these fans here, you know. Uh, but fans wouldn't work. It wouldn't take that much weight, especially so something else Anti-gravity. Anti-gravity technology existed in the 18th century. It wasn't, wasn't widespread, and it was sort of suppressed even back then. Why? Because it was going to be released in a war as an instrument of war to guarantee victory. It's always been the case. Every war in history, you name it, I'll tell you the technology that was introduced to change that war. Um, so airships and advanced cannons were um, a thing in the past that um, is now being suppressed today. They say you cannot do this stuff anymore. But in the Napoleonic Wars, the French troops crossed the Alps, uh, which may have existed back then. The, officially, they crossed the Alps into Russia. Uh, how could they have done that by foot? These short French soldiers weren't that rugged from Western Europe. So the official explanation of the Napoleonic invasion of Russia in 1812 doesn't all add up. But if you throw in advanced technology, yes, it does. These guys were going in to... Take, they're taking advantage of this technology by height, by, by amplitude, and they're just going to take out the old Rus horde Tatarian empire with, without any resistance. That was the plan, as you guys mentioned earlier. Um, and what revenge was this? Why did they do this? Why would the French suddenly be rallied into this and unsuppress their technology? Because this is the end of a long European religious schism starting 11th century, going all the way up to the Napoleonic Wars, it has to do with Christ. And Christ, as a real historic figure in Russian history, was their first emperor. 
Um, he travels. Yeah, he, he's called Andronicus Christ. He wasn't called Jesus, and J isn't a letter in Cyrillic alphabet. So uh, it's just called Christ, which means anointed. It just means he was special in some way. What was that special way is very simple. It was his mother was virgin birth. Not unique, does happen, but still it's made him stand out in the, in the culture that was part of, he was part of, shunned his mother, and she had to go from Crimea, where, they were, where uh, she was from, where their family lived. Sorry, she was from Kathia, but Crimea is where their family lived, and they're driven out of there, and they had to go to um, a stable nearby Turkey. So uh, Turkey at the time was Jerusalem one. It was the first Jerusalem on earth. And Jesus went to Turkey, had the whole crucifixion thing happen. The whole, uh, the whole uh, old, uh, for, you know, New Testament story is true. It's just redacted. Like I said, stolen history. And this guy went back to uh, Russia where he came from and sort of founded an empire. Uh, this empire was founded mostly, mostly on the memory of the crucifixion. You see the crosses everywhere. These crosses um, represented sort of um, a schism between East and West, where East believed in polytheistic old world religions, many gods, and the monotheists of the West were trying to convince everyone that there was one God. So anyway, that's the religious schism of Europe, and, it, and they keep and the Crusades continue, where uh, Istanbul, Turkey is taken, Jerusalem is taken by the uh, Rus Horde Tatarians. And then later in the Reformation, the Westerners build up a lot of... Uh, resistance technology and sort of start the Jesuit expansion all over the world and back into Russia, redacting that old Christian religion into something new. The Jesuits went to, uh, to uh, Hindustan and they redacted uh, the Hindu religion into Buddhism, as we know today, and spread Buddhism. Buddhism. They went to America and tried to convert all of the Native, American, uh, Native Americans who were not monotheists, of course, into monotheism. You look them up, they're called the Praying Indians. These are the ones that were converted by the Jesuits. And this Jesuit plan just sort of took over the world, 16th and 17th century, um, under Louis, leading up to uh, Napoleon. But right before Napoleon, there was this French Revolution, this this 10-year moment when everything in the plan went, went bad, when all of the aristocracy, those people that said this whole time that they represent God and you need to believe us and stuff, were literally being dragged out of their houses and killed in the guillotine. Um, this French Revolution left a major power vacuum. People no longer trusted aristocracy and they wanted somebody to take over. So Napoleon sort of took over, uh, turned the whole plan on itself, freed the world, I won't get into why or how, and sort of invaded Russia in order to end the war. In my opinion, the War of 1812 was successful, and Napoleon must have successfully reached Russia and conquered it. And in official history, you can look it up, Napoleon lost 600,000 men uh, trying to get into Russia without ever once encountering the Russian enemy. Crazy, not realistic story. They, they allegedly went to the Kremlin, but the Kremlin was burned down by the Tsar, and so they couldn't find any food. This story makes no sense. Armies don't act this way. They're very well provisioned. So the 1812 war is the biggest war of all. It's, uh, it's more important than World War I or II. It was the first world war. It evolved... America and involved Europe. Uh, historians will insist that there were two separate wars in 1812, that the American war between British Britain and the colonists had nothing to do with the 18 war between um, 1812 war between Napoleon French army and the Tsar of the Russian army. But the uh, the French Empire had a huge colony in America. They took half the continent. It's called Louisiana. 
stretched all the way to the West Coast. There's no doubt that the French were involved in the War of 1812 in America and in Russia. They're attacking Russia from both sides, from East and West. And as a result of Napoleon's victory, the deep state, which you know has existed throughout antiquity, they had no choice. They had to do a reset of an extreme proportion. And that's where I get my mud flood energetic event theory. I think that it was actually caused by humans, and these humans live on Mars. Mars is a planet in our solar system that is inhabited by humans. If you look at 19th century literature, you'll find tons of it that reference humans on Mars, especially from Vatican priests and Protestant priests too. Like the, all religions knew about men from Mars, sometimes hostile, but usually visiting for benign reasons. So if that literature is true, just like these paintings and stuff, if they're true, then we have to factor in humans of Mars into world history and see where they may have had influence. And that's where I get my theory. They must have triggered the reset or to reassert control of Earth. They had to do this. They had no choice because Mar- Mars is a place with poor resources and, and yeah, there's no cows, there's no milk, there's no you know abundance of good, there's not much fruit, and, and there's it's difficulty in reproduction. There's just problems. It's not a it's not a real planet. It's sort of a leftover of Earth in primordial times. And they are dependent on us for resources. They had a choice in the past to sort of share technology and all that. But for whatever reason, they chose to continue to suppress technology and, and choose the path of domination. I, I think the resets have happened um, in 100-year sections, uh, segments. 1812 was the first one. 1912, no doubt, was another reset. Titanic, World War I, all that. Um, the Great Depression, look into the Great Depression, 120 million Americans died. It's so much bigger than even the Holodomor or the Holocaust. And um, then in 2016, we were experiencing like, sorry, 14, we're experiencing like almost World War III, almost World War III, you know, like someone's trying to reset right now. They have all yeah. this working and we feel it. But we also feel that the plan has, has failed. Like it's not working the way they wanted. Too many people must've been aware of it. Uh, like Trump, for example, he, he wasn't a person that did anything. He was part of the plan. He was just like Napoleon. He was born and raised for this to fail and take America down with them. But someone somewhere like the U.S. Army decided, let's turn the plan on itself. And the plan has continuously been turned on itself. The Abrahamic Accords absolutely are stopping the war in Russia right now. It's not going to be any more war because the Abrahamic Accords are forcing all of the um, Muslim countries, uh, UAE and so forth, and Israel, to sort of negotiate this this immediately. They're not going to take one side or the other. Um, I can go on all day. The, uh, there's a lot of things that they did in 2008, 18, to prepare for what was about to happen now. And it does seem like this is going to end positively. We're not going to see World War III. I really hope you're right about that, Ari. That sounds awesome. Um, so I had a, just, man, too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> so it does really feel like currently, right now, uh, the time that we're in, we are due for, I mean, it's on the nose. The World Economic Forum is literally calling it the Great Reset, you know, and it, it does feel like they are trying to, um, and they're just out and out openly lying now. Like we had an episode earlier where we were talking about how uh, <laughs> these these people in the media, they are out and out saying things like, well, it may not be factually true, but it feels true <laughs> and it meets our narrative. And so we like this. And I'm like, you guys are just, you guys are just saying the quiet part out loud. Like we always knew you were lying, but now you're just like, it's, right. it's just wild, man. And um, 
So I was I was curious about where Napoleon. So Napoleon, uh, when you were talking about Napoleon Bonaparte, was he part of that Jesuit New World Order, or he was like an anomaly fighting back? Well, I was I kind of got lost in that. Yeah, he's not special at all. You know, he's just like Hitler, who wasn't special, and Trump, who wasn't special. They were simply raised in the deep state garden, which, if if you take that terminology, it means um, like all of our celebrities, our politicians, our leaders of any kind of leaders uh, leadership. Are, are raised in a specific way, separate from us uh, by bloodline, by territory, by money, you name it. And we're not allowed to interact with each other. That's how the deep state prefers it. So when, when you know, they have a, um, a president come out, like when Trump randomly wins in 2016, it was planned 30 years ago that he would. And you can get the proof of this by looking at our, at our predictive programming in the media. Like, you know, I got Simpsons showing right here. Uh, Simpsons has showed us so much stuff that later it really comes has, true. man. It's wild. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, time travel. Like, That's not time travel, man. That's a plan. These guys have a plan, and they're, they're aligning us with a plan. It makes it easier. It's called revelation of method, the strategy. Mm-hmm. And it basically uh, allows us to identify the resistance early. So if we, we watch these things and we have no resistance, then by the time it finally happens, if anyone says it's happening, then they'll say, oh, what? You mean like in that sci-fi movie? That's science fiction. That's not real. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone will... Well, the onus will be on you to sort of prove that science fiction is real. And and it's just very difficult to do that. So my next question was something uh, around the lines of um, at one time. So you said that there was a religious schism that separated the East from the West, right? Uh, At one time, were they united? Had they been united? Um, No, they were never united. And this is, uh, I can say this very uh, confidently because I believe that the force in this world who is attempting to push monotheism from that Western side, from the Jesuits, the Reformation, the Inqui- uh, the victims of the Inquisition, um, those people, um, like that fire never extinguished. That monotheism had never gone out within those old churches and stuff. They kept it going. So so at that, that always existed. At the same time in the East, people always believed in polytheism because polytheism is based on real stories handed down to people directly. Like remember when, you know, Prometheus showed up? Prometheus is actually a story of the last close encounter with the planet Mars. This is during the origin story. The planets are moving around. Saturnian cosmology explains it. And Mars is going through these nine final contacts with Earth. Every last contact is very violent. Mars strikes us with lightning and red rock. But we can see up in Mars's atmosphere that its inner layer is being scarred by lightning as well. And the inner layer of Mars, which is currently today the outer layer, happens to be the same color as the liver, the human liver. So the Prometheus story didn't come out of superstition. It came from people seeing the event in the sky and saying, Mars, Prometheus, has taught us how to use electricity to build these cathedrals to survive this. And he stole the power that used to belong to Zeus, the the old savior god. Why? Because the church told us so. The church says, all technology belongs to God. You're not allowed to touch any of it. So when Mars showed up and gave people directly the, the 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 knowledge of how to harness or you know protect themselves from major lightning storms that story of prometheus stayed in the minds of millions of people billions of people all over earth and was and was very hard to extinguish so when monotheism jesuit monotheism spread and converted all these races over they redacted these, these stories as much as possible to the point that they got people to bit to believe that they aren't real that they're fairy tales that they never happened greek mythology norse mythology etc. 
Interesting. Uh, so I'm curious. So we have the Martians over here. I'm I'm going to put them in, up in this category. Uh, no one can see me. I guess there we go. So we have the Martians up here. Uh, we have Tartarians down here, and we have the Jesuit order here. How do they connect? Are they is one coming from the other? Like, do the Martians can they can they still contact us now? Can uh, are there like flying ships that they can actually come down here, or was this only when uh, our planets aligned that they could actually interact with us? Or well, here's how it works. Um, every um, 36 months, uh, Earth and Mars go through opposition, where they bump up against each other uh, electromagnetically. Uh, of course, we're still very far away, but the electromagnetic fields of the planets stretch out 100 you know, times as far as the, the size of the planet, the diameter. So, um, so when Mars and Earth bump during opposition, <clears throat> that's a time when um, you can fly between them without having to go into the inner solar system. Which let me just tell you, you cannot fly in the inner solar system. The sun will will destroy your ship. You need an yeah. electromagnetic field in order to survive out there. So, you're going from one safe field to another um, <clears throat> with a with a UFO or whatever. That I heard it takes 15 minutes. But there's a better way, a, a much more unexpected way, and that's quantum teleportation. Quantum teleportation, which apparently has existed throughout our history, you can find it in Atlantean technology, in Egyptian technology, and the Old Testament re- Testament references. And yeah. I believe that absolutely exists today. That's why I think CERN is. You got CERN, this huge um, collider project, which is the most expensive project on Earth in human history. <clears throat> and yet nobody knows what it was built for because the the hypothetical physics it's trying to achieve were never proven. And now in the future, they still aren't. So you could say CERN was a huge waste of money, hugest waste of money ever, ever. And yet it's actually a very unique object. CERN... Um, uh, a particle accelerator is capable of of gathering a tremendous amount of energy, a huge quantity of energy at like planet scale. And when it gathers that energy, um, quantum physics tell us that it has to flow to the path of least resistance. And when it does, it creates a quantum entanglement between those two locations. The more intense a um, amplitude, the stronger the quantum entanglement. Um, with, with this entanglement, if you got CERNs on both sides and both planets running during opposition, you can teleport people and everything else too. So yes, I do believe that they travel here all the time. It's much more difficult though. If you're born on Mars, you don't want to walk outside on Earth. Uh, we have very strong immune systems here being close to the sun and they have very weak immune systems. So they basically do not come out here. We do not see them. In fact, my, my opinion, I think they live in those weird buildings you see in San Francisco with no windows. You know, those buildings... That like the ones in downtown, like there's one or two that has no windows at all anywhere in the building made of concrete. Those things are so freaky. They probably live in those. So the only why, way they can avoid the sunlight. Why do they go there to begin with? Like why they, why they come to Earth or why they go to Mars? Oh, like why do they come to Mars? Well, here's the sad part about the deep state. You know, they're not inherently evil. You know, they don't represent devil or anything. But their story starts with the fall of Atlantis. And when Atlantis fell, they were the top of the world. They called themselves the tree of knowledge. Everyone had to come to them for anything, and um, and they could do anything. You know, they could uh, use those those crystals, those um, emeralds, to store memory and and play it back um, to uh, you know, teleport and to fly. And of course, gravity was much less back then, so flying wasn't a big deal. Um, they were on top of the world, and Atlantis was at the top of Mars. Why? Because Saturnian cosmology 
you got collinear configuration of planets. And uh, up the at the North Pole of Earth, if you looked up, you would see Mars. And then behind that, you see Venus and then Saturn. And behind that, Jupiter. Behind that, the Sun. All in one collinear configuration. At Mars was the highest place that you can get to and still stand uh, on the ground. Any higher than that was Venus. And Venus is made of plasma. And there's no rock there, so you couldn't stand there. So anyway, Venus, Saturn, that was considered heaven. Couldn't go there. Mars was the highest place. And the most energy uh, transferred through the North Pole of Mars at extremely high amplitude but low voltage. Very safe energy. It's like a place of experimentation and just you know fantasy. So these people, when the collinear configuration came apart naturally, they took the fall really hard. All their technology stopped working. Their Atlantis empire literally fell into the North Pole of Mars into ruins. The other parts of the empire, like on the North Pole of Earth, also ruins. Everything was destroyed. And um, it seems to me that they had a choice back then to sort of share that technology with Earth or to, to easily take advantage of the survivors of this coming dark age and say, you guys got to come to us for everything. Got these stories back then of people sacrificing humans to altars. We don't know why yet, but it does line up with this explanation. Maybe the deep state was controlling humans by saying, if you want food, you want heat technology, you're going to have to do exactly what we say, even kill each other if we tell you to. So um, It's anyway. unfortunate. It seems like right. humans have always been that way, and they still right. are. Yeah. Exactly. And ignoring that story, um, you can just look at ancient Egypt, which apparently was the first major slave empire on Earth. It had, um, had all of the qualities of a slave empire, which is where circumcision and baptism come from, where you have to do these things to maintain your slave status. Otherwise, you're thrown out of the cult and you do not survive. So from the, after that, the fall of Egypt was also natural. There was this one event where uh, Jupiter ejected Venus out of it, out of the center of it, and Venus streaked across the sky. Uh, across, um, it was called the Angel of Death. And it proved to the ground, the people on the ground that the priests did not know what was going on, that they can't predict any of this, that the god wasn't one thing but multiple things. A lot of proofs all at once visually. So ancient Egyptian empire falls apart. Everyone just leaves it. Deep state goes into hiding yet again. You see that they keep getting defeated over and over by nature. And at this point in the future, say um, 17th, 18th, 19th century, the deep state, what's left of them, still on Mars because they, they were there the whole time, break away human civilization, got cut off for a long time. And during the last 600 years, all they've wanted to do was reassert control. So um, you can imagine that um, they, they uh, had to wait a long time to reassert control and get those resources. It wasn't a whim. It wasn't an act of evil. It was an act of desperation of another planet having to do this to get you know, resources, essentially. Very interesting, man. That There's so much there. So I... Again, I have, you know, probably too many questions here. Yeah. But so let's say, so do you think that all human life started on Earth? And um, they, some people kind of broke away, like those top people, maybe those Atlanteans, they were shooting for Mars and they they found a way to transport themselves there? Or do you, where do you think that human life originated? Well, um, in Norse mythology, which describes the collinear configuration, you got um, you got uh, eight realms, like nine actually, um, and each realm is inhabited. Each one is uh, has different environments. Um, the Earth realm, which is Mid Midgar, is called Midgard because it's in the middle. It's in, it's in the middle of something. Uh, it's also called Middle Earth, right? In uh, Lord of the Rings, we hear Middle Earth. 
you know, I, th I thought that meant hollow earth, but no, actually it means in the middle of a collinear configuration, something we couldn't imagine, something that has entered fantasy. But uh, anyway, earth was Midgard and other places like uh, uh, Jodenheim, for example, was really cold place with giants. And, um, and Asgard was the highest place you can get to, top of Mars, brilliant, beautiful castles and all that, emeralds. So each place was inhabited in North mythology. And that means in our earliest record of human history, every one of the planets uh, was inhabited except for the ones that you couldn't stand on. So um, <clears throat> the, the confusion though of North, North mythology is that they weren't describing planets, they're describing realms. And that means that because they were so small, they couldn't possibly know what they were standing on. They were um, they just saw the, you know the landscape, the horizon of each realm. So uh, so uh, two or three realms can represent a single planet. So you see my point. All realms were inhabited in the early in the origin story, and after the colonial configuration, essentially each planet had to vie for itself. Mars was still inhabited by humans and other life forms, and hollow and plants are hollow by the way. So most of life, you know, congregates inside. We don't have to, we don't see that life on Mars now on the surface. It's on the inside where it's, where the only place you can survive. Interesting. Okay. All right. And then I just kind of, I wanted to ask again a little bit about, um, I guess, so we have, we have the Martians and now we have uh, the Atlanteans. Are they, are they tied to Tartaria? Did Tartaria come out of the Atlantean? Well, here's the story. Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> when uh, Christ showed up in, in Jerusalem, he was a giant, a big, hairy giant of the Resort Empire, uh, not depicted at all like you see today. And the Europeans were tiny. They're small guys. And there was this, like, this uh, first contact kind of situation where the, uh, the religious uh, priests, the rabbis of Istanbul, Jerusalem, were trying to teach this giant how to be a rabbi. And he was learning their stuff. He was being converted by them, uh, just like Jesuits would do later. And um, he didn't like it. You know, he said, look, you don't have to do that. You can do this instead. I, I don't agree with usury. I don't agree with blah, blah. He called in the question a lot of stuff. He made parables and so forth and said, you know, these parables more or less how you should live your life. And the, the Istanbul rabbis disagreed. So they crucified him. I don't believe I died in the crucifixion period. I don't believe that 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 story is true at all. He was a giant. They're trying to make an example of him. He carried the cross with him, which meant it was cooperative. So he, they made an example of this giant. This is how he punished, uh, you know, people who, who blaspheme. What did they accuse him of? Being the next savior. Why? Because the, the rabbis were looking for next savior. They had a, lot, a record of saviors until then, um, from planets like like Jupiter and Venus, uh, which they called Joshua and uh, and Zeus, which was renamed to Moses. You know, has the word Zeus in there. So. Um, they were looking for that next savior and it was never going to come. No more plants, no more cataclysm. And they just arbitrarily accused this giant of being, thinking he was the next savior. I seriously doubt that Christ said anything like that. It just wouldn't make sense. Uh, he was, he was crucified for all the other reasons. He was threatening the religion completely. He was breaking up monotheism and, and, and calling into question everything, the taxation and the, and the sort of ghetto lifestyle that the Europeans tend to live in. It's all ghettos and people owning people and stuff, which is totally different. In Crimea, you got this big old wide open land of giants and uh, a lot of the early beautiful, you know, temples and, and uh, like things like the Kremlin were built there first. So, uh, so this guy gets crucified and um, he leaves 
uh, goes back to uh, the East, whereas why you find records of uh, Jesus in the East in Japan. There's a tomb of Jesus in Japan. Um, <clears throat> you got Buddha in China, of course, which mirrors the story exactly. You got Muhammad of the uh, Ottoman Empire. And uh, then in America, you got the Mormons. And the Mormons say, hey, Jesus was here too. You know, he probably crossed that Bering Strait when it was land. He's a giant, he's a big guy, could walk around. And he just came and had a second revelation in America. It wasn't dead. He didn't come back to life. He just walked there and gave it. That, that makes more sense to me. So the Mormons. So did he survive yeah. the, the crucifixion? Really? Oh, yeah. I, de I definitely believe so. Okay. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't take any stock in the coming back to life and, and visiting America thing. That doesn't make sense. And like I said, there is a tomb of Christ in Japan. You can look it up. Like there's some reason the Japanese believe that Jesus was buried in Japan. So, That's um, really fascinating. Right. Yeah, I'd so, love uh, to visit that. Yeah. Right. So uh, basically, Christ, Andronicus Christ's name, goes back to the Crimea, and everyone just sort of rallies around him and says, this guy, you know, look what happened to him. Look what they did to him. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, make a religion out of our, our eclectic sort of indigenous belief systems. And they did. They created the Rus Horde Empire. Within 10 years, they, well, I mean, it, with a couple hundred years it took to build it, but Within 10 years, they organized enough of an army and went all the way back to Turkey and conquered Jerusalem. This is known as the Crusades. It's also known as the Trojan War. Um, Anatoly Fomenko insists that both the Crusades and the Trojan War are the same war, and he gives all this evidence to back it up. Uh, <clears throat> essentially, Jerusalem was this big, tall castle with three ramparts, identical to Minas Tirith and Lord of the Rings, totally the same build, and each level was meant, you know, to, to defend if the next level fell. This whole building was built to fend off giants. These Europeans were afraid of giants and they were arming themselves against them. So How when, big are we talking when, to say giants? Um, at least, you know, three or four times the height of the humans. Like really big. So up to like 18, 20 feet? Yeah, I would say. Okay, that's fascinating. And right, big, do you think people. that they were, are the giants human? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's a different scale. Because I, I love digging into the whole Nephilim, the whole, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that sort of thing. Okay. Nephites, right? Because Nephites mm -hmm. entered the uh, Mormon Bible, too. They got references to giants. So uh, <clears throat> the story goes, uh, this empire forms under the revenge of the crucifixion. It's called the Crusades. And the people who represented Christ take revenge on the people who allegedly crucified him. In Scaligerian official history, we were told that the Crusades happened a thousand years after the crucifixion, like they waited a thousand years to take revenge, which makes no sense. And this um, Fomenkian chronology makes perfect sense. Happened within ten years. They um, they got an army enough to take that that rampart, but they lost a ton of people in the meantime. You got famous stories of people like Achilles, who you know they say was a giant, and how he finally you know fell in, in um, Troy. So um, moving forward, they take Jerusalem back from the infidels. And, and they impose a sort of uh, vassal state on them, the first vassal state of the empire. They say, you guys belong to us. We're going to charge you taxes. You're going to bring us some of your children for our army. All of that Roman Empire stuff you've ever heard started in that moment. Um, now, here's the crazy, the crazy trick, the thing that I don't even think these Russians even understand um, today. And that is that the Rusort Empire, when they, when they had this Christ figure who who called into question all of this European usury, they then, in revenge, they just copied all of it. They did exactly the same thing. They went and they imposed usury on their on their slaves, their vassals. And they said, um, 
taxation, taxation and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. So the, the point is, it seems to me that the deep state, which was, which went from Egypt to Turkey, and when Turkey fell, they sort of convinced the Rusord Empire to, to become like Turkey was, uh, violent and uh, army-like and usury. And the Rusord Empire saw no reason not to. They're like, yeah, we're the victors, sure. And so the deep state moved to, to the Rusord Empire. It's the reason why this empire was created, why it got so big, and why it attempted to enslave the whole world. Not right away. The first 100 years were actually 160 years were really peaceful times. Restored empire. Yeah, I've heard certain things about Tartaria. And so, I mean, I think there there's probably several theories, right? right and yeah. I've heard that Tartaria was actually like a very peaceful empire. Yes, at, at first, yeah. At first, okay. And, and so they, they sort of gave back the lands that they conquered. This is the Alexander story. You know, he didn't really change those locations. And, um, and for 160 years, that, that worked out. But what happened in the West was you got this these monotheistic monotheists who basically felt like they were conquered, who don't feel like they're you know they agree with the authorities, and they sort of rebuilt. You got rebellions all over the place, and it turns out that a lot of the rebellions took the shape of Christian orgies. Sounds crazy. You go to um, Italy, and you go go to that one uh, town near Mount Vesuvius, the one that was the Roman city that was destroyed by Vesuvius you will find phallic stat statues on the streets, giant ones, like 100 feet tall phallic statues. It's not just some, you know, shape that someone liked. It was a sign of the orgy locations. Fomenko goes into great detail of these locations, say that orgies back then happened out in the public. Of course, the Roman Empire has this memory. We, we do know that. Um, and what happened was they started experiencing diseases after a couple hundred years of that. Um, not, not that doing orgies is a bad idea, but that too many foreigners got involved and it sort of reached this peak and, and became a problem. This problem, Was that on purpose, you said? Not this one. This was just um, okay. overindulgence because these okay. guys were being told the whole time by the Rusord Empire to knock it off. They didn't. But here's, here's the thing. The Rusord took advantage of the situation in the worst way. History remembers this period after 160 years as the Ottoman Empire, their invasion of, of Europe. What they, they go in and they slaughter all the Christians. Absolutely, they do. Why do they do this? Why is the Rusord Empire slaughter these locations? Because the um, they basically the venereal disease got to the point that uh, people started to treat others like not human at all. Sort of like we had recently with the pandemic. Like, oh, don't touch me, and you know, go deal with this. And I'm not going to that town. It was, it was the first time that people really got frightened into this kind of thing. The Rusord Empire sort of slaughtered everyone that was sick, everyone that showed any signs of being sick, and um, they they reimposed. You know, the control again, they said, let's try this a little differently. From now on, Christianity is going to be quite a different thing. It's going to be like the opposite. It's going to be totally austere and it's going to be, um, you know, modest, you know, no, no more, you know, sex at all. We're not even going to talk about it anymore. That kind of shit It's going to be totally opposite. So Ottoman Empire imposed this on Europe at that time. All right. I had a quick question. Yeah. Where do you, um, so we're talking about the West now and we're talking about they were Christians so is the East, so you're saying that Christ came and started that Eastern empire, right? He was right, the first emperor. Spread, so what religion were they? So, and where do the, these Christians from the West, where do they tie their religion from? Do they tie it to Christ as well? Well, this is why I say that the Russians and the Easterners say that their religions were stolen by the West, because they say that the Jesus story was in Crimea, it was in Russia. And the Westerners say, no, it was in uh, Palestine. 
you know, totally different location, yeah. desert where no one lives. And so that's a schism right there. We don't agree on where Jerusalem is. We don't agree on where any, where Jesus was born. So, um, so you're asking the, the Western religion, why would, why would I call them Christians? Well, when the resort Christian empire spread all over Europe for the first time, when it was peaceful, it spread the religion, the Christianity religion. It was very simple, you know, um, parables of what Jesus said. Um, the monotheists, they rejected that. Uh, as you know, the rabbis in the Old Testament rejected Jesus, didn't say he was not the savior and led to his crucifixion. So these rabbis represent that that rebellion group, that the people that resisted the whole time the, the uh, polytheistic resort empire's authority. And, um, <clears throat> and eventually when they started saying uh, Jesus came from Palestine, they also said something very important. They said, Jesus is the King David bloodline, the mm -hmm. King David bloodline. And that bloodline has nothing to do with Russia at all. That bloodline is a hypothetical um, narrative that uh, started basically by those monotheists that they are part of a chosen race coming from Palestine. And, and that is, that is, like I said, a very different version of it. it it's a like potentially stolen. So uh, back to okay. topic. Um, okay. Right. So back to topic. Um, the, uh, the Christians of the West, they only became Christianized in the Reformation. Reformation is a time when Western Europe changed the nature, the very fundamental nature of what Christianity is into what it is today. And um, they claimed it essentially at that point. In the Reformation, they said, it's our religion. It's not yours. And, um, and that's when the, the um, Resort Empire had to start the Inquisition, another event we've heard of. Uh, we have told the Inquisition happened in Spain, and it was between Europeans. Actually, uh, in Fomenkian chronology, um, the uh, Inquisition is absolutely from the Rusord, from the east, going west into Europe. And they're trying to stop the monotheists from literally starting wars, Joan of Arc style. These monotheists were receiving orders from somebody, and they're told to do everything from guerrilla warfare to straight up, you know, let's let's go and, and raise armies and take things. So... Um, as this kept happening, the Inquisition attempted to quell um, the, the witch burnings and the hangings. Why was that happening? Well, that was happening on its own. The, uh, the witch burnings were happening because there was a lot of people, men and women, receiving telepathic uh, messages to betray their own people. It entered in the Quran. We hear these, these stories as the jinn or the genies. These, these are supernatural beings that offer humans great wealth and power if they betray their own people. And for this reason, um, the Europeans started like burning people. They're like, how dare you betray us or try to betray us? You know, your God isn't even real. I'm going to burn you and prove it, et cetera. So this stuff started happening all the time. And the, the Inquisition basically was a response to it. Uh, Inquisition gets a bad name. They think that you know, they, uh, they're violent or something. Actually, the Inquisition doesn't have much violence in it. It was just trying to prevent violence. And it failed. The Inquisition completely failed. The Reformation uh, was successful. And sort of won the narrative. They played the victims. Said the empire was was the uh, was the um, emperor in no clothes. Enemy, you know, a lot of anti-empirical propaganda came out with the Jesuits. Stuff that we're sort of raised on today. And that's where we lead up to Napoleon's time when Napoleon was part of this major plan to take out Russia. They're basically going to conclude that ancient war. Those monotheistic Jesuit um, Reformation. Both the Protestant and the Catholics, and I could prove this because in the War of 1812, Protestants and Catholics joined in the um, in the, the sixth coalition, sorry, fifth coalition, 
against France. So, you know, the Protestant Catholics don't really have a schism. They're identical. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so anyway, that, that's, the, that's why you basically had this Jesuit expansion in the world. They took advantage of this, this uh, taking out of the Rusort Empire, taking over its power, all of its locations where they originally established their religions, taking those religions over, redacting them into something monotheistic and tied into the central church. So do you think that they, so do you think that the Jesuits, do they really believe their religion? Are they devout people or is this about uh, power and control? Well, the Jesuits are absolutely about power and money and control because they have branches of their military branch, they have financial branch, and, and, um, and they're connected to the Masons, connected to everyone of any kind of significance, all the secret societies you've ever heard of under the Jesuits. Because the Jesuits were there first, they were there early, and they're the ones that converted everyone over. Fascinating. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard that. Um, I've heard the theory, at least, that the Jesuits are really what's going on on top. That's who's running the show. Okay. That's really fascinating. So now are, we're going to get into what the mud floods were, like an attack? Yeah, and absolutely. who did it? So is it was this the Jesuits that were taking out uh, the Tartarians, like they were trying to just squash them completely? Well, um, the Jesuits were planning to do it slow and go by converting people over, by sending missionaries. This was a totally new strategy for its time. It was very convincing. You're sending basically children off into the middle of war and the enemies end up laying their guns down. It's, you know, it's, um, <clears throat> it worked pretty well. The problem is after a lot of flattery and convincing and here's some new technology and food and aren't we so small and pretty because they're they're the Jesuits were white and they're they're small they're going to these far remote regions where you had giants and, and a lot of black people in Africa and um, specifically Egypt so I'm gonna mention um, in Egypt you had this ancient Egyptian Empire which the deep state fled no one wants to live there anymore it's hot and it's a desert but but the slaves of that Empire still maintain it to this to not to this day but until napoleon's day there was still a pharaoh there um it was possibly even cleopatra or somebody related to her i don't think that name is real just means praise fatherland anyway that the egypt was filled with black slaves left over from the egyptian empire when all the white people fled and um, when napoleon showed up all these white people they basically said um hey you know here's all, all this stuff you know they integrated and, and kind of converted them over. But then they said, B, your old God is back. The old God that you guys remember in your stories, Osiris, is back. Jesuits, I believe, are the ones that built that Sphinx. They rebuilt it. And the Sphinx is a sign of, of, the, of the old God coming back together, um, being one form. Where in the story of Egypt, the old God, Osiris, was torn into three bits and thrown into the Nile or into, well, into hell. And, in, and that means that the Egyptians remember their old God coming apart, the planet's configuration coming apart in ancient times. There's no reason for them to believe that that God returned, but the Jesuits told them they did. And the black slaves of Egypt had no choice but to accept these Jesuits represented that old God. It's a, it's a really nefarious trick, and it's so much more effective than warfare or anything else that the Rusort Empire could do. So the Jesuit plan was going to be successful. It was 100% likely to work. And I think that the only thing that could possibly uh, you know, make it fail was to be turned on itself from within, from a very high level, and that's Napoleon, and that's the French Revolution. That's where everything went wrong, essentially. 
Interesting. Um, so I have another real quick question. So we're yeah. jumping way back. So um, I was really fascinated when you were talking about the Atlanteans and you were talking about how they had all of this technology and that basically the rest of the world would have to bow and scrape and come to them if they needed something. Right. And then right. you said at one point their technology just ceased to work. Right. So yeah. is that something was the energy that they were using or that uh, was that have something to do with the cosmology and then maybe a shifting in the sky is what, and uh, things up there, is that what ended their, their power source or. Yeah, essentially. Cause that was the origin of this current solar system. When earth was being born along with all the other planets, it happened all at once in Saturnian cosmology. Um, Saturn was a, a, L-type brown dwarf, which was a big plasma shroud with many layers of plasma floating in space with matter in the middle of it. That plasma um, shroud basically connects with the sun at the moment of the origin story of, of uh, you know time, essentially, and that the planets get ripped out of Saturn and form a, a, a straight collinear configuration which rotates around the sun without without shifting. That So this this time, this period... This golden age, it was called and remembered, was had, had so much energy passing through it that essentially it was completely different from anything we have now. It, it, to, let me explain how different. Um, death was impossible. You couldn't kill anything back then uh, because the, the energy kept you alive, essentially. So things passed between life and death sort of um, you know, as, their, as part of their life. There was no um, – well, I get the point. Animals did not eat each other, according to the Bible, according to Hindu texts, according to North mythology. No animals or mammals ate each other yet. You know, there's abundant food. Was everything uh, we didn't need to eat was my point. This so kept you alive. the Garden of Eden, is that describing Atlantis or parts um, of it or that timeline? The Bible doesn't talk about Atlantis. It just mentions the tree of knowledge, which yeah. it doesn't describe. And they, associated with the tree of life. Okay. I just, I felt the tie in because they like, at that point, the animals didn't eat each other and we didn't eat the animals and things like that. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. That's, That's how different it was. Okay. And then pretty much after the fall of the configuration, all that energy went away and suddenly everything had to eat to survive. And that's when the animals naturally decided to start doing that. We, we believe that mammals today have been eating each other for, uh, you know, billions of years. Right. But the mammals, the predators, the, um, are actually going extinct. All of the predators are going extinct in the 20th century. That's a fact. So something has to explain that these predators probably haven't been predators for very long, maybe only for a couple thousand years, I say. Okay. Uh, and then you might not have an exact answer to this, or you might, um, or you might have even said it, and I'm just stupid. But in your and what you see is the timeline how long has it been since the atlantean time and using our what we can call it what we consider a year like how far back do you think when did like when was this atlantean like golden age if a year is as long as 365 days then yeah. i think i think the golden age started just over 4000 years ago okay but All because right, years but because yours became smaller and smaller the further back you go, um, it's recorded as more like six or seven thousand years. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. So now are we digging into the mud flood? Yeah, you bet. Um, let me uh, awesome. grab a photo here. Um, 
Oh, here's a picture of um, some kind of flying object catching on fire. Uh, you know, it's a could That's potentially a be crazy this event. thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> could eventually be during this event when things caught fire. Um, there's a term for something burning. That, um, it's called faggot, right? The word faggot means a pile of sticks that's burning. But this word also is used derogatory sense against people of a flamboyant nature. Now, French people were known to be quite of that nature back then, no doubt about it, especially the way they dressed. And when they all went down in flames in the Napoleonic Wars, no doubt they did, um, that term might have come from that them going down. You know, they were all burned, all those FGTs. So it's just an interesting sort of side theory that I have there. Interesting. It's something we haven't seen yet. Okay. I got these mountains in China, right? The rainbow mountains. Painted. Yeah, they're beautiful, man. I, yeah. And actually where I'm at in Oregon, there's, uh, they call them the painted hills. Yeah. There's these really beautiful mountains out there. Yeah. That okay, so look just, similar. Yeah. Geologists yeah. say, you know, this happened from billions of years of layers of sediments as if different colored sand laid on top of each other of billions of years and then was all shifted in the thrust fault. Uh, you know, straight off the bat doesn't make sense because most of the tectonic action of, of natural history theory occurred at the beginning, the first, uh, you know, couple billions of years of Earth history. And then um, the last billion years, you basically had all the sedimentary layers and everything else. So that this is wrong order. This thrust fault would have had to happen before the sedimentary layers. So getting away from natural history, what else could have caused this? Well, um, <clears throat> in the lab, and especially if you look up the Sapphire Project, you have um, these uh, scientists reproducing uh, sort of primordial conditions in a lab. They're seeing what electricity does to sand, to dirt, to, to glass, and they're able to reproduce all of this. Uh, lightning scarring, uh, dendritic patterns, alchemic patterns, which is where it changes color because the nature of the atom or molecule is being changed. Um, a lot of modern scientists say that alchemy is also superstitious, you know, nonsense. But um, back in the Rousseau Empire, they were convinced that, you know, you if you add uh, phosphorus and mercury together, that you get gold and silver. That this was just known, and they called it the philosopher's stone. So, so um, it's just a matter of you know, if you believe that or not. If you if you do believe that, then all of money as we know it, the gold standard, fiat, all of that. Is called in the question because whoever's hoarding that gold knows gold can be created. You can invent gold. But if you're to believe the periodic table, which insists that gold is an atom, cannot be created or changed, then the value of gold and dollars will be what it is today. So, yes, I do believe that they could just be lying and that gold yeah. and silver and diamonds are all things they can make in a lab and have no value at all. How cool would that be if uh, if we could learn alchemy and we could do all kinds of really interesting stuff, man? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, so fascinating. Uh, it would so much improve our technology, our health, everything. I mean, it would just be a different world. Uh, in the ground, you find all kinds of patterns, especially in the West Coast America, that are not explained by geology. You say you're yeah, in Oregon. That's beautiful. That, yeah, have you ever gone, to, uh, ever gone to Utah or uh, Arizona? I have not gone to Utah or Arizona. No, I've heard uh, Utah is really beautiful. I'd love right, to go yeah. to Utah. Yeah, find Check out Mount Zion and that area. Right, and even in New Mexico, you got these shapes that just cannot be explained by modern geology. They say, "Oh, it must be some kind of weird volcano 
which you know, decayed in a certain way over time. But you know, they, do you think they, that they those were buildings? Do you think those no, were attempts? Oh, okay. Now these um, the West Coast uh, ghost team was lightning scarred um, in the past. This is not uh, this is not related to mud flood theory, but um, it here we go in um, the electric universe theory. Um, you can you can find many of the scientists describe the West Coast of America having been lightning scarred in the, in antiquity. They say that you know many thousands of years ago uh, there was some sort of a secondary coronal discharge that sort of jumped from from weak point to weak point in the areas that um, either had too dry, too much sand like a desert region, or too uh, or too icy like snow regions. And um, these areas were essentially concentrated concentrated hard by this discharge of energy. The, according to this theory, the energy came from um, planets interacting each other in primordial times. And that's fine. I totally believe that. that. That's why you see a lot of scarring on Mars and on Earth. However, the Grand Canyon is completely unique. You don't see a Grand Canyon anywhere else on Earth. And you see Grand Canyons all over Mars. Uh, the negative discharge lightning scarring that occurred on Mars occurred all over its surface, but only one place in, in Earth. And that means that potentially that secondary discharge that could have created the Grand Canyon might not have occurred in primordial times. You know, it might be hard to understand that, but it's because we would have expected to see if it really was a primordial event to see Grand Canyons in China, in in uh, Egypt, Africa, you know, that, those places, which are most less identical ecosystems to Western America. So um, <clears throat> back to the point, um, Western America, definitely lightning scarred. If you go to Utah, if you see, um, I try to find it. Oh, okay, sorry. You're gonna find all kinds of red rock, right, in Utah? Um, red rock, you know, shouldn't be there. It's it's alchemically alchemically modified sands. It, it's changed its color, and it's not just the rock, but the it's not, it's not just the sand, but the rock structures themselves. Uh, they, they're very reddish, and they're they're sort of cylindrical, and they shoot up into the air. Let's see if I can find one of those here. Uh, these structures are not um, are not um, explained well by modern geology. So what I'm saying is that lightning scarring in this amplitude. Um, basically melted the ground and sort of uh, turned it into plasma, like molten plasma in these uh, in these dendritic shapes, like tornado shapes. And they sort of, there we go. Uh, and is that what the mud is? Is the mud uh, the plasma? Well, let's take a look here. In Utah, you got these shapes right here. These are melted um, rocks that, that sort of mushroomed on the top. This cannot be explained by mud falling on top. It would just fall to the sides. Cannot yeah. be explained by geology, period. This feels like the highest level of these rocks got the highest attention, intensity of discharge and literally melted. So it's not the only melted rocks photo I can show you, but you'll find these photos all over Western North America. Yeah, that's so, crazy. That's really beautiful. And right. It's like kind of breathtaking. I agree. I got way better photos, just not in order, like I said. Let's see if I can get to them real quick. Oh, here's another one. Um, the Electric Universe... Um, the, check out the Electric Universe project for a lot of these theories. They point out that um, these uh, these structure these uh, uh, sorry, canyons on Mars have dendritic patterns. They're not just random canyons. They actually show repeating patterns on them. So these patterns, dendritic, means that they take sort of this shape, dendrils, like a like a leaf or a or a river delta, 
and that they're repeatable. They're repeatable at, at amplitude and so forth. So anyway, that's sort of a giveaway that these mountains were scarred by lightning, not by water. And we find the same dendritic patterns on Earth. Uh, here, here's another example of patterns that could not have been formed by geology because you see like, like swirling and wavy patterns as if the ground sort of eased on one side or stretched or, you know. Yeah, the, the only other theory that I've ever heard uh, that tries to explain a lot of these different things. Wow, that's beautiful. Right. This was like uh, earlier. Really beautiful um, and just, yeah, like detailed sort of carving there. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, the only the only theories that I had ever heard of, and I think this was like, uh, what's his name? Something Carlson. Um, anyways, he was trying to explain that he thought a lot of this was from um, actual, uh, what the heck do you call those things? Not icebergs, but uh, giant um, uh, glaciers that were moving across. Um, right. Yeah. And, and that's fascinating. That's really interesting. And he thought that that had something to do with the ice age and then it something. And he, I don't know if he can really explain what it was something that just like, I think maybe he th thinks that it was an asteroid that just melted everything like super quickly and just shoved and moved these glaciers and, and, and created all these crazy things. And that that's his explanation. Um, right. And I find that really interesting and fascinating too. Yep. Here's a shot of the Grand Canyon. Like I said, if if there was an explanation wow. for it, expect it to to happen on the other side of the planet too. If it was a glacier or an asteroid, you expect to see more of them, not just one. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Here's a nice shot of it uh, from the angle. You can sort of see that this not really a river's uh, direction, but more of a filling out space. And when you Dude, fill that out looks space, like somebody cracked the Earth like an egg. Right. It's crazy. Essentially, when you fill out space in repeating patterns, that's dendrilic. That's not something rivers do. Rivers do snaking and random patterns. So it looks uh, looks more or less snaking and random at the large scale, but like I said, smaller scale repeating dendritic, especially in these regions right there. Let's see. Uh, yeah, Devil's Tower, another structure that they cannot explain. So they put it in like sci-fi movies because it's so mysterious. Where's that at? That's in, uh, it's either New Mexico or Utah. I'm pretty sure New Mexico. Okay. And look, Australia got this uh, melted uh, mountain here. Totally melted, really obvious. I mean, there's no other mountains around. It's like, what happened? You know, not explained by geology well at all. Oh, there's top view of the Grand Canyon. Um, yeah, it's easier to see sort of um, how it's, you know, it, it's just like a, a random shape, not due to water, but because of the random direction of a sec of an uncontrollable secondary discharge. It's it reminds me of a human skull, you know, the, like <laughs> nice. the little, yeah, the little patterns. That's fascinating. Totally. Okay, I think we saw them all. Yeah, there's a dendritic uh, pattern in glass. You know, it's reproduced in a laboratory. So they can do this stuff in labs with sand and get exactly the same results as we see in nature. That's kind of cool. Like in Lexington, Kentucky, my friend lives there. I just told them, hey, do you realize that underneath Lexington, there's like a whole other city that's been buried and nobody in Lexington knows about it or teaches it in schools? And he's like, nope, never heard that one. I mean, that's what our American history is like. It's all buried and nobody talks about it. The, the Rusord Empire stretched over into America. There was a advanced civilization here, and for some reason, that they, they want us. The authorities want us to believe that the Native Americans were sort of sticks and stones Native Americans, you know, with pots and pan, sorry, pot, uh, clay pots and rivers and buffalo, and just sort of living indigenously without technology. They left behind all of these ruins and these cities, magnificent Tatarian buildings. They definitely were. You know, 
what I'm really fascinated about, and I, I want to check out one of these days, is uh, there's a lot of underground here. I, I'm pretty close to Portland out here. And there's a lot of underground and there's just crazy stories about it, you know, and I, I'd love to, and there's a lot of buildings now. Like I have friends that work in a lot of these buildings downtown. And almost all of them have underground uh, passageways that you can, yeah, that are all underneath and it's really cool. Yep. So here's a, um, one last thing we could talk, cover. Um, this is a burial mount. You can find giant burial mounds all over America. Um, not anymore. They've been destroyed. This is called the Smithsonian cover-up. For some reason, the 19th century Smithsonian Museum decided to collect all of the giant bones that they could find all over America and destroy all of the sites. Bulldoze them all. They're all gone. Um, now, these bones, they don't just put up in museums. They reclassify them as dinosaur bones. Yeah. So so um, let's look at these mounds. Um this one is one that is, is still around today. And they said, this is what it looks like, that they weren't giants, they're just regular humans, and they buried themselves in such a way. I think it's, it's very odd to explain it that way. Um, we don't see this burial tradition anywhere else on the planet. Native Americans tend to, um, tend to uh, cremate, and Europeans tend to bury it, and, and, uh, and Egyptians were all about the burial. Um, so, so what is this, this mound here? Let's look at another one. Um, oh, here's a... The uh, Serpent Mound, I believe, Georgia. Um, they believe that there's um, several mounds here that were deliberately built in the shape of uh, zodiac uh, uh, positioning and in the shape of a giant snake. This one, uh, they agree uh, officially that there were giants, but they say these giants were only eight or nine feet. They don't want to admit they're much bigger than that. Um, here's another example of a mound. They think like people buried in layers. Just doesn't make any sense. And they also buried with their tools. We constantly hear this, that they're buried with their tools, that they found tools in the burial mounds. So now let's take a look at this one. This burial mound doesn't seem organized at all. We find the, the human is buried here. We find their tools and objects. And then we find their livestock was buried with them. But their livestock was buried at a weird angle and not in any kind of organized way. And why, why do that? Why bury the livestock with the person? Now consider the mud float events. If this person was buried all at once, then we'd expect this exactly to be how it would turn out. It's not a burial mound at all. It's a, just, they're buried. Yeah, yeah, this really reminds me of what you brought up, uh, I guess, uh, Vesuvius, right? Where, uh, okay. yeah, and he, there's that classic photo of the guy that was just having a go at himself and he got caught and <laughs> and um, was preserved and he will be like that forever, for all time, you know? Yeah, I've heard and, that, yeah. Yeah, that's it's a funny photo, man. You can look that up. <laughs> yeah, for a while there, I wasn't sure what to make of that story, but no, I believe it. I, I think it's really hard to fake that kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, okay. The... So who did? Who did it? So who did it and, and why, or just who? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the deep state did it, and the deep state represents. Um, the, any attempt to control humanity. It's not in our nature to do that. And it's not 99% of people that are involved. The deep state is a very small, select inside circle. They are uh, nepotistic. They marry in um, family-wise to everyone that they connect to. They don't allow it to happen outside the family, period, which tells us that 
leading all the way up to the deepest parts of the deep state, that this is all just a big family thing. They're only loyal to their families. They're going to keep it going because nobody in their family can, can stop it or say no to the ones that you know, are in charge. And finally, I come from a Jewish background, a Jewish family, and I just experienced this a lot in my life. Um, communities like this do not really have much empathy for people outside the community. So mm -hmm. it is important that the deep state is born into a religion that is very different from the religions we know that they're sort of our cattle and that, that property and that they're never going to engage us as real what we are as, as people they are you know that they own us by the, by the letter that's what that's how the um, the british empire set up it's how the american empire set up after the civil war they sort of created that um that social security system the early stages of it and they made everyone property of the state um it's still a conspiracy as to whether or not that's provable, but I, I don't see any reason to doubt that theory. And, and I didn't describe that theory very well, but um, I forget the name of it. But yeah, the idea is that the deep state is very nepotistic. So who they are, it, it goes all the way back to the center. It's just the, the families that lived in those regions, Mars, maybe inside of Earth, hollow Earth, possibly in other planets too. I heard that humans could live inside the sun, um, that they probably live inside Mercury, that heat doesn't work the way we think it does. And that those regions are very scarce on resources, that they need Earth to get everything from food to the reproduction, everything. So um, Deep State simply represents the need for humanity to try to control itself, to deliver resources to those who are in charge. Okay. Really fascinating, man. Um, we're getting, we're a little bit past an hour and a half. I know my wife is stir crazy. So, uh, Ari, we loved having you on. We'd love to have you back on, and we'd love to dig yeah. deeper. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, brother. Do you want to? Do you want to uh, do any last-minute plugs or any shout-outs? Uh, just yeah, check out ParadigmThreat.net. That's all the stuff on there. And we'll be, I'll cool. be trying to make a, a movie. Sorry, a video. I'm trying to make a mud flood video. I've been working on it for about a year and a half. Life events put it all off, but within the next month or so, I'm going to try to record a video that really explains my mud flood theory. And so look out for that. Awesome, man. We really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so Absolutely, much. Absolutely, guys. All right.